Hi, my name's Paul Grogan and welcome to episode 33 of the all-new Gaming Rules podcast. This episode is an audio version of the live Q&A that went out at the end of November 2022. A big thank you to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. And if you want to support the channel directly, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. And now, on with the show. Right, I think we're live. Good evening, everybody. Thank you very much for joining me, as always, with these live streams. Please let me know in the chat if you can hear me and you can see me okay. And welcome to this month's live Q&A. It's November 2022. Tomorrow is December, which is very, very scary. I don't know where this, this month has gone. Um, AV is okay. Thank you very much, Chrissy, for letting me know. All okay with you? Vicky's here, who's going to be fielding the questions. So for those of you who haven't seen any of my live Q&As before, we're going to split this uh, show up into two parts. The first part, I'm going to be going through all of the questions which I've been asked in advance over on the BGG Guild, and then we'll go to the live questions. Um, if you are watching this live and you do have any questions for me, please put them in the chat, but start with the word question in capital letters. Vicky will then spot those, transfer them to the document, and then I'll be answering. We're going to be doing the contest as well. So we're going to be giving away £50 worth of games vouchers for Games Law. Uh, I've done the draw for last month's Q&A this morning. Uh, well, this afternoon, actually. So that's that's done. Uh, and I'll be announcing this month's contest very soon. Right, okay. So let's have a look at the questions. Now, before we start, I just wanted to say today has not gone to plan. Uh, and the time that I allocated to going through this month's questions so that I could prepare some you know, clever, witty answers... Uh, I didn't have any of that, so I've transferred the questions that I've been asked into a document, but I haven't really had a look at them. So um, <laughs> apologies for that, but yeah, ran out of time today. So let's go through these questions, which are going to be almost as new to me as they are to you. First one is from Brian Robson. Uh, some questions about the biggest disappointments and pleasant surprises. So which game most wowed me by looking gorgeous but in the end was a real disappointment. So the first game that comes to mind, bear in mind, as I say, I haven't had time to prepare, so this is straight away, and Graham's going to be happy with this answer, is uh, Zaya Legends of a Drift System. I really wanted to like this game, uh, and it looked gorgeous, and it was a really successful Kickstarter, and graphic design was nice, the miniatures were nice, the board, everything was nice, but I just found the game just horribly random. Uh, massively, massively, horribly random. So very, very disappointed in that, but it did look really nice. So there's that one. Uh, which game most surprised me by looking shoddy stroke poor, but ended up being a really good game? Um, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of games which look really dry and boring, but I'm somebody who looks at a game which is very, very beige and looks like a really dry, boring Euro game and gets excited about it. So... Um, Ones that look shoddy stroke poor, but ended up being a really good game. I'm not quite sure. I mean, I'm, straight away I'm thinking of Splotter games, because Splotter games, to be fair, whilst a lot of their games are great, their graphic design and production values are pretty awful, but would I, you know, I, I, I went off Food Chain Magnet quite quite hard, and although I enjoy Roads and Boats, I wouldn't class it as a, as a fantastic game. So, yeah, I'm not sure about that. But they, they're good questions for the Guild. Maybe we'll ask that question on the Guild. Um, which biscuit was the most disappointing you've ever tasted? Oh, I'm sure I've had a disappointing biscuit. Can you think of one that I've had that was disappointing? 
No, I can't. Again, I can't think offhand, but even if you gave me time to, well, you did give me time because you asked me this question at the weekend. Um, if I had time to think about it, Adrian in the chat says pink wafers. Do pink wafers really classify as biscuits? Vicky's nodding. Well, in that case, pink wafers. Thank you, Adrian, for that. Yeah. Uh, which biscuit looked nothing special but ended up being delicious? I think hobnobs. Hob oh, Vicky's nodding. Uh, hobnobs for me look absolutely nothing special, but I, I really enjoy hobnobs. And since we're coming up to Christmas, do I have any particular biscuit-related treats that I enjoy over the Christmas period? Stolen is a, is a Christmas-related treat, which I think you can only get around Christmas time. But last year, our local Aldi uh, had these packs of Stolen, which were uh, a higher percentage of marzipan than other stolen that we've had and they were really nice and they went quite quick so we ended up going back to Aldi to buy some more and then they went quite quick as well so yeah I probably possibly not biscuit related but in that sort of genre uh, next question is from Graham of this year's releases so far that you haven't gotten to the table yet which are you most excited about to play now didn't didn't you ask the question last month Graham that question looks very familiar but I'm going to give exactly the same answer and that is revive uh, revive Going into Essen was being talked about a lot uh, and looking at it on the surface, it looked like my kind of game. And that is currently, I haven't played it yet. Almost everybody else I know has played it and has said, yeah, it's really good and I'm probably going to like it. So that is that is number one on my list of Essen games which I haven't played yet, which I'm looking forward to. And in fact, in less than 24 hours time, I will be playing it. So tomorrow after, no, hang on a minute, it's Wednesday, isn't it? Yeah, I've lost track of the days of the week. This Friday, <laughs> uh, JP's coming over, Rob S is coming over, and Peter's coming over. We're going to be doing a four-player game of Revive this Friday afternoon, if you're interested. Uh, that will be on the channel. So I'll let you know what I think about it after that. Um, Scott asks, did any games come out at this year's Essen which fire other games in my collection? Oh, that's a good question. I'm trying to think. What games came out at this year's Essen which mean that Okay, now I've got this game, I'm not going to play another game. And I'm trying to think what games came out at this year's Essen. Um, so Heat came out, but for me, any other racing games that I've had in the past, I've kind of moved on from. So I don't think Heat... Heat certainly doesn't replace Flamme Rouge. Uh, having only played one round of Heat, I liked it, I need to play it more, um, but that's not going to replace Flamme Rouge. So there you go, there's, there's me not answering the question. Um... Anybody else got any suggestions for that? Let me know what games came out at this year's Essen. Uh, whether you're watching this live. If you're watching this live, put your answers in the chat. If you're watching this back afterwards, leave me a comment in the video. Was there any games that came out at this year's Essen, or in fact in the last few months, which have f fired other games? In other words, replaced other games. Now that you have this, you're not going to bother playing that. Because, um, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm struggling to think of any. Next question from Avron. Uh, it's just been Thanksgiving in the USA. Uh, somewhat recently Guy Fawkes Night in the UK. Yeah, we didn't do anything for this week's, uh, this year's Guy Fawkes Night. Uh, and some former colonies. Um, am I jealous, curious, whatever, of any particular regional holidays around the world? I'm certainly not jealous <laughs> of any regional holidays, but I am curious. So over on the Slack channel that we have for, for my Patreon supporters, um, I was interested in Thanksgiving in terms of 
what is it that you actually do in, in Thanksgiving? What is Thanksgiving about? Because obviously we don't do it in the UK. Um, but is, it is generally an American thing. But Stephen, one of my supporters who's based in Puerto Rico, he does it as well. Uh, and I wasn't sure how far Thanksgiving, you know, extended. Uh, and, and I'm more curious about it. So I'm always curious to see what other cultures have uh, as their things that they celebrate, national holidays or anything like that. Loki's decided to come in and climbed all over Vicky. <laughs> <laughs> he's super friendly at the moment um and that that's more of a curiosity thing really and i remember looking into the uh, mexican day of the dead after we'd watched some animated film about it because i wanted to find out what that was and learn more a little bit about other cultures and uh, and what they celebrate uh, gavin is saying what are you hoping santa brings you for christmas so um gavin i don't really do christmas um i kind of make a point of saying I don't really want any Christmas cards and I don't really want any presents. I'm not a real big sort of fan of the whole giving of presents at Christmas time kind of thing. It just makes me really uncomfortable. So if you're watching this and you were going to get me any cards or presents, please don't. Um, it's not that I'm not thankful for them. It's just it, it makes me a little uncomfortable. So as it is, there is nothing particularly that I want at Christmas. Uh, the only people who do regularly get me a present, it's basically what I ask for is... Um, you know, vouchers that I can spend on buying some more paints or paintbrushes or things like that. Things that I find useful, really. Because um, it's not that I'm going to go out and buy myself any games for Christmas or anything like that. So it's more things that I will find useful. Uh, which game am I most excited about for 2023? Also asks Gavin. I, I don't know, to be honest, because the, the games that I know of that are coming out in 2023... Some of them I'm not allowed to talk about. Some of them I know publishers have got plans for games coming out next year uh, and, and I'm not sure what I'm allowed to talk about and what I'm not allowed to talk about. But also, I'm not one of those uh, people who do videos on the five games to look forward to next year. And the reason I don't do that is because I work in the industry, I am sometimes aware of some games that are coming out next year, but the problem that I find with those videos is and it's a marketing thing, really, is there are loads and loads of new games that come out next year. So if we if we take this year's new games, for example, right, Revive. Let's take Revive as an example, because as I mentioned earlier on, everybody I know who's played it has said it's a fantastic game. When was Revive announced? You know, and if anybody knows the answer to this, let me know in the chat. Revive is a game that came out at Essen 2022. But when was it announced? Was it only announced a month before, two months before, three months before? And this is kind of what I'm saying. If anybody did, and lots of people have, and lots of people do, videos at the start of the year, and these videos always get tens of thousands of views, so people have said, well, why don't you do one? Um, is, oh, here's the top five games to look forward to that are coming out this year. Revive would not have been on that list, and therefore, I don't feel comfortable in doing a video saying, here's the top five games to look forward to this year, when I don't have all of that information. I'm exactly the same with board games. I don't like making decisions based on partial information. So that's why I don't do those videos. Uh, and that's a very long-winded way of saying I'm not fully aware of everything that's coming out next year. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, this year's been a big year. ISS Vanguard's arrived. Um, you know, Frosthaven, I've got my copy of the game. Some people will be getting their copy of the game, uh, you know, over the next couple of months. Um, Frostpunk's arrived so it, it just in the last few months there's been some hugely anticipated games that I'm really looking forward to as for what's coming out next year not 100% sure
Right, um, Andy has got a few questions. Do I also watch the BTCC in addition to Formula One? British Touring Cars Championship, I'm guessing. So uh, no, <laughs> I've worked out what the acronym is, but no, I don't watch. Uh, I don't watch any motor racing really, uh, apart from Formula One. I did watch Formula E for a couple of years, but I kind of went off that a little bit this year. I might go back to it next year with the Gen Three cards, but a lot of it is down to time. Um, have I discovered or rediscovered any good bands recently? Uh, preferred musical genre? I've got a few. I mean, I don't listen to much music, um, but I, I I have been listening certainly over the last few months to a bit more music um, than I used to do. My music taste varies, um, but I do still like going back and having the nostalgia of listening to some of the bands from the 80s that I listen to. So a lot of uh, Depeche Mode, Duran Duran, uh, Pet Shop Boys, New Order, lot, lots of things from the, uh, from the sort of 80s that I grew up with. Um, bands like Muse, really like Muse. And there's, there's lots of other bands that I really enjoy. I was listening yesterday to... Um, Live and Let Die by Guns N' Roses, for example. So yeah, I've got quite a quite a wide selection of music that I like. Final question from Andy. How easy do I find it to learn a game that I don't know when playing it for the first time on an online platform, such as Board Game Arena or Yukata? So specifically, not Tabletop Simulator or Tabletopia. So for those people who don't know, Tabletop Simulator and Tabletopia both try to represent the playing of the physical game. You physically pick up pieces and you move them from one space to another. So it tries to recreate uh, the experience of playing a board game around a table, but virtually. Whereas Board Game Arena and Yukata are an online implementation, which sometimes, in the case of, for example, Underwater Cities, look nothing like the board game. They are an extremely good uh, on, you know, online version of the game, but visually and the way that you know, you move things around are, are very, very different. It, to be honest, it really depends on two things. It depends on the game itself and it depends on how good that implementation is and it depends on uh, who's teaching it. The, the last time I played a game on one of those platforms that I didn't know, I can't remember. Most of the games, if not all of the games that I play on those platforms are games that I already know how to play. Um, but I would have thought it would be quite tricky, especially because there's a lot of automation in some of them. So you're clicking buttons and you're doing things and then random stuff happens. And if you don't know what you're doing, um, then it might be tricky. But this is a question for, again, for the live chat, if you're watching this live, if you're watching this back afterwards, leave me a comment. Have you learned how to play a game? Sorry, have you, the first time you played a game, was it using an online platform? And how difficult did you find that? Uh, based on the online interface compared to if you'd have played it physically. Next question from Oddity. What are my favourite movies and do I have any guilty pleasures from when I was a kid? So favourite movies. I like a lot of movies. Um, my favourite ones, the first Matrix film, I thought was absolutely fantastic. Uh, groundbreaking, loved it. Possibly still my number one favourite film. I thought two and three were awful and I've not seen four. Um, the Lord of the Rings films, I thought were fantastic. I didn't like the Hobbit films, really, at all. But the Lord of the Rings films, I thought, were excellent. Uh, Memento is one of my favourite films. Fight Club is one of my favourite films. Twelve Monkeys is one of my favourite films. Some of the Star Wars films. <laughs> not all of them. Uh, I thought 4, 5 and 6, obviously great. One, we don't talk about one. 
Two I actually quite enjoyed, and I thought three was really good. And Rogue One, I think, was fantastic. In fact, all of the Star Wars films um, that have not been... I, I thought seven, eight, and nine were pretty rubbish. Um, but out of out of the nine, four, five, six, and three, and possibly a bit of two, uh, are, are my favourites. So, yeah, there's lots of different films that I like. You, can, can you think of any films recently? Oh, the Batman films by Christopher Nolan. They are th those three films by Christopher Nolan. I know not everybody likes them, especially not the third one. Love them, absolutely, uh, absolutely love them. Uh, and pretty much every single one of the Marvel films. I can't think of a single one of the Marvel films apart from Black Widow, which I wasn't that keen on. Um, but pretty much all of the Marvel films that have come out, I've really enjoyed those. So yeah, they're 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 some of my favourite films. Uh, guilty pleasures from when I was a kid. I don't think I do. So a guilty pleasure, something that I enjoy that I'm a little bit embarrassed about, maybe? I can't think of anything. Guilty pleasures from when I was a kid. No, nope, can't think of anything there. Slayer One's got a very good question. Have I ever considered doing a behind the scenes video documenting my studio setup and how I, and how I work when doing a how to play or playthrough video? It would have been really interesting to see how much work it is and when it's done. That has been one of the things that I've been thinking of doing for about two years. And I've never got around to doing it for a couple of reasons, um, mainly because it would take quite a lot of time. And I actually don't think it would be that popular a video. Um, and obviously it, that would be time off work to create that content. One thing that I have considered doing though, is doing um, something for my Patreon supporters. So my Patreon supporters on the Slack channel do have access to a number of behind the scenes things that I do. Uh, and they see some of the process that, that goes into it. Um, but one of these days, I've actually been thinking of, you know, setting up another camera in the, in the studio and doing a live stream of me while I create a how to play video, because it is a very methodical process. And I do change that process regularly. Um, but yeah, I've considered doing it, but I've never considered sort of making a, 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 a documentary film about, about how I make the videos. Um, next question from Mick. Mick says, do I have any streaming plans over Christmas like I did in the past in terms of streaming game books or whatever? So Mick, I have lots of plans for this year's Christmas break uh, and it certainly won't be a break. Um, there's a big list of things that I want to do and I don't know if I'm going to be able to do all of them or not. So the first one is I want to do my top 10 games of 2021. Because, as some of you will know, I record my top 10 games of the year one year after everybody else. I've, I've done this, I've been doing this for a few years now. And it's time for me to look back at all the games that came out in 2021 and I do my best games of the year. And the reason why I do it a year after everybody else is I don't want to do it at the end of the year. I, th I think if I was to do a video of the best, my top 10 games of 2022, that's not fair on some of the games that I haven't played yet. And, you know, it would be unfair for me to do it in December 2022, when I've only played some of the Etten releases once. So that's why I never do it at the same time as everybody else. I always do it a year later. However, I have been thinking that a year later is possibly a bit too long. I could have probably done my top 10 games of 2021 in the summer. And that's what I might do in future. I might aim for next summer to do the top 10 games of 2022. So one thing, so that's one video that I want to do. Another video that I want to do after saying that I'm not going to do it is 
what are the best games that I've played in 2022? So slightly different, but basically, I, I again, everybody else who does these top 10 videos gets huge, huge, huge views. And, I, and, and my videos don't get anywhere near as many views. So I thought maybe as an experiment, I will do a top 10 games of 2022, but I will caveat it by saying right now in December 2022, here's the best games that I've played over the last year. Note, I haven't played all of them and some of them I've only played once, but here's my initial impressions. So I, I've considered doing that. Um, and both of those videos are likely going to take me a day to do because I, I don't know what it is with me and videos like that. Everybody else, every other content creator I know seems to be knocking out these videos in like two hours. You know, oh, they, they turn the camera on, they press record, they record it, edit it, done, it's done, finished. And it takes me a whole day to create videos like that because I have to think about it, I have to write them, set the studio up, get ready, film it, edit it. It's literally six, seven hours work. Um, and everybody else seems to be creating them in two hours time. So anyway, there are two videos I want to do. The third video I want to do is the long overdue Paul goes through his entire game, all of his games in his collection, and basically rates them against each other. Uh, that that is going to going to be happening sometime between Christmas and New Year. It's going to be a live stream. I'm probably going to use Pub Meeple, and it's basically going to be a very very long live stream where I put all of my games into the Pub Meeple system, and we do a live stream of me comparing two games at a time, and it will hopefully come out with my favourite games. It was a Patreon goal at the end of last year and we achieved that goal by reaching 800 patron supporters. Um, we've managed to stay above 800 patron supporters this year. The, the, the Patreon support has kind of grown gradually a little bit this year. It's had ups and downs along the way but yeah I kind of want to do that. The other thing that I want to do is do another fighting fantasy game book but to be honest that is that is fourth on the priority list because I do want to do the other things. Um, and yeah there's a whole host of other things and we actually got some um, Space Cowboys contacted me this week. There are six more unlock scenarios coming out and they want us to do the testing on them. And whilst we don't really want to be working between Christmas and New Year, uh, they've got six unlock scenarios that we need to test uh, and then feedback and do all of the editing on. And that's got to be done by the start of January. So we might end up having to do a bit of work here and there. Um, yeah, so there won't be a well-deserved break and de-stress. There will be there will be lots of content, and the reason why I want to get that content done is that content has been niggling away at me. I want, as I mentioned, I wanted to do my top ten games of two thousand and twenty-one in the summer, and unfortunately, due to a combination of workload and everything else, I've been putting a lot of things off. Um, the Paul rates his entire collection. I wanted to do in January. And I've been putting it off. So I want to get those done, even though it's supposed to be, you know, break time. Um, because then they'll be they'll be done and they'll be off my back. Lots of other content that I want to do as well. But more solo gaming I'd like to do. But I'm not sure I'm going to be able to fit everything in. James is asking, what game in my collection did I have the most difficulty acquiring? Oh, that's a good question, James. I, I'm, I don't know. What game have I got in my collection? That makes it sound like it's a, like a grail game that was really hard to get hold of. I want to say uh, Advanced Civilization, the Avalon Hill version, because I was looking for that for years and years. Um, and then I managed to find it about 15 years ago, I think. So probably Advanced Civilization. Um, not that I play that anymore. And by that point, I'd already made my own homemade version of it. 
Um, so why I went out and bought, it was from a bring and buy probably at UK Games Expo about 15 years ago um, or something like that. I, I, I very much remember seeing Civilization and Advanced Civilization and thinking, I want those in my collection and bought them and then went, why have I bought these when I've actually made my entire own version of the game? But anyway, yeah, probably that one. Uh, next question from Pat. Did playing Frostpunk the computer game influence any of my work on the rulebook? No, not at all. Um, <clears throat> when I worked on the rulebook for Frostpunk, um, although thematically it is based on the computer game, when I was writing the rulebook for it, yeah, any 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 influence that I got from playing the computer game didn't come across. Uh, I just because I, I didn't design Frostpunk, I didn't have any input in, on the rules of the game. I was purely just the rulebook writer and editor for that. What do I consider to be my biggest impact on board gaming? Ooh. What do I consider to be my biggest impact on board gaming? Um, well, it's either, the, it's either the rule books or it's the videos. I would probably say the rule books. Um, because, you know, I've done videos on how to play games. But, you know, I, I think the rule books have had the biggest impact uh, on board gaming. Um, and I'm kind of hoping, in a way, that... A number of publishers have, have looked at those rule books and gone, oh, wait a minute, yes, we need to put more effort into our rule books. Unfortunately, I don't see that happening. I still see, and it still annoys me to this day, the same publishers over and over again producing subpar rule books and are not learning from their mistakes. But although I've now officially retired from rule book writing, um, I've, I've left behind in the last couple of years some rule books for some very, very big games that I'm very, very proud of. So, Euthea, Torment of Resurrection, massively complicated game, huge amount of rules. Generally speaking, that rule book has been, has been received very, very well. Uh, it took months and months and months of work. The Frostpunk game, again, that rule book has been received well. ISS Vanguard, uh, the new Batman, Gotham City Chronicles. I'm trying to think of some other very, very big games that I've done rule books for recently. Um, and all of those rule books, uh, I wasn't just the editor on those rule books, I was pretty much the writer. Uh, there's a big difference between editing and writing. There's lots of rule book editors out there. Uh, and rule book editing is taking what somebody's written and maybe tweaking it a bit. Whereas a rule book writer is like, you know, give me a blank piece of paper and I'll write it. Some of the, um, some of the Vital Lacerda rule books as well. So On Mars is one of mine. Uh, and Weather Machine is one of mine as well. Um, I'm going to be helping them a little bit with their rule books moving forward, but I'm not going to be the writer of those. But yeah, I'm, I'm quite proud of the fact that there's some, yeah, really big games out there, really complicated games that, yeah, I think, I think the rule books are really good for those games. Um, what is one thing about rule book writing that has stayed the same from the start of my career? And what is one thing that has changed the most? What is one thing that has stayed the same? People front-loading too much information. That, that, for me, is one of my biggest bugbears with rulebooks. And unfortunately, a lot of people just don't see it. Uh, front-loading of information is where, basically, I mean, it's a very literal description of what the problem is. At the start of a rulebook, before you've even set up the game, you have these one, two, three, four, whatever pages of here's some important information that you need to know. And actually, although it is important information, 
The reader of that rule book does not need to know it at that time. And there are so many rule books now that I get and I go, okay, here's an introduction, here's a list of the components and boom, here's four pages of important rules that you need to know. And you're like, none of this makes any sense. I don't even know what the game's about yet. I don't know how to set it up. You haven't even told me what the objective of the game is, but suddenly you're telling me about the process of converting wood into sheep and this, and it's like, no, 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 no. So front loading of information, Front loading of information is still a problem now. Um, and unfortunately, I keep seeing it in rule books. And if you are a rule book editor and you're watching this video, or you are a publisher and you're watching this video, please, please, please stop front loading information into rule books because it's really, really bad and it's really, it makes it really hard to learn. What is the one thing that's changed the most? There is one thing that has changed, and unfortunately, it hasn't changed as much as I'd like. But the rule books that came out 20 years ago, most of them were written as if women didn't exist. So many rule books 20 years ago, and unfortunately, it's still some rule books now where like the player picks up his piece and places it onto his player board. And it's like, well, I'm sorry, but women play games too. Um, so my rule books have always been gender neutral and I think there has been a gradual move. And this isn't anything to do with, um, you know, and, and I know a lot of people think that, you know, oh, Paul's going on about gender neutrality now. Every time I mention gender neutrality on the channel, I normally get a few hate messages either through YouTube comments or whatever saying, oh, stop pushing your gender neutral agenda or sister. It's just absolute nonsense. There is no reason why you cannot make rule books gender neutral. Um, absolutely no reason for it whatsoever. Um, and it just makes them more inclusive. And as a side note, I am of the personal opinion that if you write your rule books uh, aimed at women, like the, the player picks up her pieces and places it onto her board, that's just as bad. That's not being inclusive of women. That is just being exclusive of, of men. It's like, it's very, very easy to make your rule books gender neutral. So yes, it's changed a lot, but it, it still hasn't changed as much as I'd like. What is the most challenging rulebook you've ever worked on and why? Oh gosh. I mean, all of the ones that I mentioned a minute ago have all been a challenge. None of them have been easy. Um, if anybody thinks, I mean, rulebook writing is a, is a skilled piece of work. You don't just go and write a rulebook. You know, anybody who thinks, oh yeah, Paul's writing the rulebook, he just sits down and writes a rulebook and it's dead easy. No, it's months and months of hard work and, a, you know, a lot of, You've really got to analyze things. Um, the most challenging one that I've worked on, I mean, they've all been, they've all been challenging. I'm trying to think. I mean, one of the challenges of a rulebook writer is when the designer and the developers keep changing the rules as you're writing the rulebook. That, that is a massive problem for me because I put so much time and effort into the rulebook and then the designer comes back and says, oh, we've changed a whole bunch of things. And what you've got to do is you've then got to work out what the knock-on effect of those things are and make sure that you've changed the details in every single place. And that's really hard to do. Um, yeah, they've all been a challenge. Yeah, it's gonna be very difficult for me to pick one of them. Um, yeah, I don't think I can. I don't think I can. Because all of those games that I mentioned are of similar complexity. They're all like really heavy games. Uh, did my enjoyment or excitement about being eventually uh, able to play a game impact to the type of work that I took on? Oh, that's a good question. So yes, a little bit. Um, and if we take Frostpunk, for example, Frostpunk, 
one of my favourite computer games of all time, if not my favourite computer game. Obviously, I got the opportunity to work on the rulebook for the game, and then finally the game came out. I was super, super excited about that. So did my enjoyment or excitement about being eventually able to play the game impact the type of work I took on? Yeah. Um, I mean, when I accepted the job to do the Frostpunk rulebook, I did it knowing that at some point in future, which turned out to be two years later, I would eventually get to play the game. So there is there is some excitement in that. Um, and obviously I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not doing those... I'm not doing the rulebook writing anymore. But if we take that forward to doing videos... Some of the videos that I've been asked to work on, um, there, there does come some excitement with that um, because I know that at some point I'm going to get to play that game. Um, and I'm trying to only take on, uh, most of the work that I take on are for games that I'm genuinely interested in myself. What is the YouTube charity for this month is the final question from Pat. Uh, we don't actually have one. Um, so we're a little bit behind with the charity payments. Um, for those people who don't know, uh, every single penny of my advertising revenue from all of my videos goes to charity. We raise about £5,000 a year or something like that. Um, yeah, it's, just, it's it's a lot of money that we make every year. If, you, if you're wondering how much money my channel makes from advertising, it's somewhere between four and £5,000 a year. Um, and if you see the number of views that I get on my videos and you compare it to the number of views on some other content creators' videos, yeah. Um, you know, because I'm not a big content creator. When you look at the number of views that I get on my videos, it is nowhere near some of the other content creators. So yeah, we raise a lot of money for charity and every single penny goes to charity. And the only reason I'm able to do that is thanks to the patron supporters. Your financial support is enough for me to keep going and allowing me to keep making those donations to charity. So yeah, if you're one of my patron supporters, thank you, because it's only due to you that I'm able to make those charity uh, donations. As for what the charity is this month, we're a little bit behind. Um, but basically, if you're one of my patron supporters, you can influence me. If there is a particular charity that you want me to donate last month's uh, or this month's uh, stuff to, then drop me an email or let me know through Slack. Um, and we're more than happy to, to do that donation. Next question from Andre is, how do I feel about tapping out of a game? I play most games at two player, so when one of us is no longer in the running and stops enjoying the gameplay, it feels really terrible to play it out. But while I've never done it, I've considered conceding the game in order to end it early. Interesting. So yeah, so if you're playing a two player game with somebody and you've reached the point where you're like, and, and we're talking about a game where the objective is to win by getting the most victory points, and you're maybe halfway through and the other player has made some critical mistakes and they're never going to being with a chance of winning, do you agree to stop playing the game and then carry on? I'm I don't I don't know whether I've ever been in one of those situations and it really depends on the game. I would not want someone to sit there for another hour and a half. But also, if it's like an engine building game where you're able to play the game and enjoy it and the other player says, look, I've clearly lost, can we just stop playing? You're like, well hang on a minute. You know, I'm enjoying playing the game. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. I think that might be a good question for the Guild, Andre. Um, so, one thing, uh, if, if Chrissy, if Chrissy's watching, Chrissy is watching, um, if you wouldn't mind turning that into a question on the Guild, Vicky's going to post a link to the Guild in the chat right now. I have a Guild, it's over on BGG. It's very quiet, and I say this every month. If you are a member of the Guild, you are welcome to use it, start posting questions, and, and get some discussion going. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to turn Andre's question... Uh, from here 
and we're going to put it. We can do it later on, Chrissy, because I've actually got quite a bit of extra information. But it's about, yeah, tapping out of a game, about calling a game early, specifically a two-player game, um, when you know that you've lost and you don't you don't want to play anymore because playing through it might feel like a waste of time. Andre says, recently, he's playing on Board Game Arena. He's felt the same. He's been trying to understand Barrage, uh, and there were many games in which he made mistakes and you couldn't see in advance. But in that game, it's particularly punishing. Yeah, Barrage is a game where you make a mistake. I mean, I remember my first game of Barrage on Board Game Arena after not playing it for three years. My first turn, I built the wrong thing in the wrong place. And that's it. It's game over. It, it just, there's no coming back from it. Um, and But then on Board Game Arena, you're involved in the game. He says he just goes through the motions until it's over. Or you sacrifice all of your workers in the money action. Uh, yeah, again, that's one of those things. And it does depend on the game. Angus has got a question. Heat... Pedal to the Metal or Pole Position. So Heat, Pedal to the Metal, new game that came out this year from Days of Wonder. I'm going to be covering it on the channel in a couple of weeks' time. Pole Position goes on Kickstarter in five, five days' time. I'm not really able to compare the two for two reasons. The first one is Heat. I've only played one lap of Heat at Essen, and I need to play it more. And Pole Position, uh, we covered it on the channel just last week. Uh, it's still in development. There's going to be some tweaks made to the rules. I think there's a place for both games. Heat, I think he's offering itself as a family-friendly game. It's a little bit maybe family plus uh, sort of racing game, whereas Pole Position is quite a bit more involved and there's a lot more rules. So I think there's a different target audience for both of them. Uh, right, a couple more questions left and then we'll have an announcement about the, um, the giveaway and we'll also then move on to the live questions. So, Peter... I often notice that you don't uh, and don't understand why people like to do the following things in the hobby. For example, uh, doing spreadsheets, e.g. top 100 related statistics, 10 by 10 grids, mandating yourself to play X number of games per month and other to-do lists. Doesn't it feel like work? Uh, people should embrace in the now and just play games instead of engaging in work like that unless it's for business. Any thoughts? I have my own thoughts on that, Peter, but of course my thoughts are... Uh, tainted by the fact that this is kind of my job. So even when I'm just producing content for fun, it's still my job. My job is to produce content for people to watch, uh, whether it be sponsored content that publishers have paid me to create or whether it's Patreon content. And personally, I love spreadsheets and I have spreadsheets for absolutely everything. We, we have a spreadsheet for going shopping. Uh, we have a spreadsheet for... So I have a spreadsheet for here's all of the games that I want to cover on the channel. Here's a rating of how much I want to rate those games. And the reason why I do that and I've got spreadsheets for everything is I personally find that it keeps things structured. And I like things to be structured and I like things to be organised and I like crossing things off a list. So that's me personally. Um, and I think a lot of people are in the same position. So it, it all depends. If From what Peter's saying, is Peter is not one of those people that creates these lists. Peter just wants to say, oh, what game are we going to play today? Let's play this game because we want to play this game. That's great. Um, but personally, I have my lists of, here's the games that I want to cover on the channel. Uh, and then I prioritise them. And then I, I kind of cross them off the list and things like that. Um, I also have my patron supporters uh, who help me vote. So, for example, on December the 10th, I'm having a games day. So this is advance notice for everybody. But on December Saturday, December 10th, I'm having a games day here. I've got uh, 11 friends coming round. We're going to split into three groups. 
and we're going to be playing some games. I already know the games that I'm going to be playing. And the reason for that is I'm going to be live streaming. So three or four people are going to be in this room and we're going to be live streaming. And I've made a big list of all of the games that I brought back from Essen that I haven't covered yet. And my Patreon supporters voted on which games they most wanted to see. So I'm not even choosing the games that I'm playing on that day. But don't worry, because I want to play all of the, the, those games. So it's not like I'm playing games that I don't want to play. I want to play them because I want to cover them. Uh, and it's my Patreon supporters who voted on which ones we're going to see. So we're going to be seeing Heat, Pedal to the Metal in the morning. We're going to be seeing Starship Captains in the afternoon. And we're going to be seeing Crossing Oceans in the evening. And I mentioned that this Friday we're going to be seeing Revive. And we're going to be seeing Great Western Trail Argentina. Those are the five games which I think received the most votes in my patrons um, vote of which games they wanted to see on the channel. Now, there's other games that didn't get as many votes, which I will cover at some point, but I try to prioritize them. So yeah, personally, I like those lists and I, and I like filling them in. Um, next question from Neil. And this is the last one of all the questions that I've been asked in advance. Uh, Neil has a YouTube channel where he solves Wordle variants. Uh, if anybody's interested, you can search for Nerdle Neil and it should come up. Uh, he said he was six months late to capitalize on the craze. So the question is, do I join the rest of the world in doing the Wordle puzzle on a daily basis at any point? So I have never done a Wordle puzzle. Um, I think, I, no, maybe I did one once just to see what it was. But no, it's, 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 I, I personally don't do it. Um, but question for those people who are watching in the chat, do you do the Wordle puzzle? Uh, do you still do it now? Did you used to do it, but you stopped doing it? Because wasn't it like massively, massively popular and everybody was talking about it and then the New York Times bought it and then since then nobody's talking about it anymore. Something like that. I, I can't remember. Um, but no, I don't do it myself. It's Neil's second question that is an interesting one because Neil is asking, how do I feel about word-based board games in general? So until a few years ago, I really didn't like word-based board games and that is because I'm not very good with words. My knowledge of the English language is not that great and any word-based board games I would be immediately at a disadvantage because I'm just not clever enough at English. Now I'm saying that as a rulebook writer and the thing is going back to rulebook writing and editing you don't need to be good at English to be a rulebook writer and editor. That might sound strange but trust me I know, I know what I'm on about. <laughs> um, so my knowledge of the English language wasn't great. And I generally didn't like word-based games. And then Codenames came out. And although I'm not very good at Codenames, I really enjoyed it and I enjoyed playing it. I wasn't very good as the clue giver because I wasn't good at being able to come up with the, the clues and, and associating things together. But since then, we've had a number of them. So... Um, Letter Jam from CGE is amazing, absolutely amazing. And I surprised myself that I was really good at Letter Jam in terms of I would look at the letters and I'd go, oh, I've got a seven letter word. And it, this, I, for some reason, I was really good at Letter Jam and I don't quite know how. But we've got just one. We've got So Clover. Fantastic. And they are word based, uh, word based board games that I really, really enjoy. So, yeah, I've gone from thinking that I was no good at them, didn't like them, to actually really enjoying them now. But I guess that depends on the game. Right, I'm going to have a quick drink and then we're going to talk about the contest. So every month as part of these live Q&As, I do a £50 giveaway, £50 of games vouchers from Games Law. 
£25 of that comes from Games Law themselves, so a big thank you to Games Law for uh, effectively sponsoring these live Q&As by giving £25. Uh, and I'm putting in £25 of my own money as well. So one of you who is watching this video is going to win £50 worth of games vouchers. And all you need to do to enter the contest is click on the link that Vicky's going to put in the chat. It's a link to a Google form. Now, just to give you an idea, these live Q&As that I do generally get about one and a half thousand views. I don't know how many last month had, but generally speaking, about one and a half thousand people watch these videos. Now, some of those probably clicked on it accidentally and went, oh, I don't like Paul, switch off, right? But one and a half thousand people watch this video. Approximately 150 of those enter the contest. So only 10% of people watching this video enter the contest. If you're watching this video right now, if you're watching this live, go and enter the contest. The secret word, and we're doing a slight difference this week because the secret word isn't a word, it's a number, and that number is 4505. So all you need to do is go to the form, fill in the details, put the number 4505 as the secret word, and if you're one of my patron supporters, please let me know. Um, and we'll do the draw next month. So basically on the last Wednesday of the month, oh, so the last, the, the next Q&A is actually another thing that's going to be happening between Christmas and New Year. Oh, well. Um, uh, yeah, that, that's it. It's as simple as that. Uh, if you're a patron supporter, you get two entries into the hat instead of one. Um, but anybody can win. And it generally actually works out that in two out of three months, it is a patron supporter who wins. Uh, and occasionally, yeah, one in, one in three or maybe one in four months, uh, some, somebody who isn't a patron supporter wins. So... Last month's contest was won uh, by, let me scroll up, it was Matush uh, Kinner. So Ma Matush Kinner, congratulations. Matush has been a patron supporter of mine only for two months, but he watched last month's live Q&A, uh, entered the contest, and has won £50 worth of game vouchers uh, from Games Law. So yeah, thank you very much again to Games Law, and thank you for all of your support. Uh, and the reason why I donate another £25 of my own money, again, that was a... That was a goal of the Patreon campaign. Once we got to 800 Patreon supporters, I wanted to celebrate by, by giving, something, giving something back. Right, moving on to the live questions. So the first one is from Rick. Have I bought him and Scott a Lego Optimus Prime for Christmas? You'll have to wait, Rick. December 25th, if you've got a package in your front room wrapped up that looks a little bit like Lego Optimus Prime, then, then maybe. Is, it, is there even a Lego Optimus Prime? There probably is. Uh, Agile Johnny saying, when did I redo my wall? I, I redid the wall, um, the, the wall that you're seeing behind me. I redid that about 10 minutes before the live Q&A started. It, it took about five clicks of the mouse and then there you go, it was redone. Adrian is asking, uh, he mainly plays co-op games with his friends. Is there anything coming on the horizon that I should be excited about? I don't know. <laughs> Ask that question to other people in the chat. Uh, if you're watching this live, please help me answer Adrian's question. If you are a cooperative board game player, what cooperative games are coming out on the horizon that are new and exciting? Because um, I, I don't really know what's coming out soon that is a, is a cooperative game. Uh, Chrissy is asking, how was the debrief meeting with the grid convention? Well, it's good that you asked that question, Chrissy. Thank you very much for asking that with no prompting whatsoever. Um, for those people who don't know, GridCon is the convention that me and Vicky run together. GridCon 3 happened at the start of November. Uh, and the 4505, by the way, is how much money we raised for charity. So today, me and Vicky walked into Taunton, 
with £4,505 in our rucksacks. And I can tell you this now, I wasn't going to tell you this yesterday in case somebody decided to mug us. But yeah, we literally went into town this morning with £4,505 and we deposited it into the charity's bank account. And that's how much money we raised for charity. Anyway, GridCon 3 happened at the start of November. And this morning, we had a meeting with the hotel to talk about GridCon 4. Uh, and I'm pleased to say that the meeting went very well in terms of there were a number of issues related to GridCon 3, uh, mainly relating to the hotel running out of food, uh, not enough staff, etc., etc. The hotel has accepted all of that and said that they won't. That won't happen next year. So next year they've said they won't run out. They'll get a lot more drinking. Uh, they'll get a lot more food in, and they'll have a lot more staff. And they were the biggest issues for us for next year. So we have booked next year. We haven't yet signed the contract, but there's nothing now that's going to stop us signing that contract. As far as we're concerned, we didn't want to publicly announce GridCon 4 until we'd had this meeting with the hotel. Because for all we knew, the hotel would have said, look, we're happy that you had the convention here, but it was too much for us and you can't come back. We, we don't know. We, re we really didn't know. We didn't think they were going to say that, but they might have done. As it was, they didn't say that. They would be more than happy to have us back next year. So GridCon 4 is happening. Um, if you are interested in attending, then the rough timescale is February 2023. Patreon supporters will get uh, early access to booking hotel rooms and tickets. And then probably March 2023 is when we'll be making the tickets available to the public. We're going to be selling 300 tickets, similar to we did this year. It's going to sell out. It's going to sell out quickly. So, uh, yeah, if you're interested, keep an eye on the GridCon Facebook group and the GridCon Facebook page. But the rough timescale is patron supporters will get access to the tickets in February. Everybody else will get access to the tickets in March. That's the rough plan. Uh, next question from Scott. What is my feelings on using AI art in games? Is it legal or is it plagiarism? I don't understand that question. AI art. So you mean art that has been generated by artificial intelligence? I guess. Is it legal or is it plagiarism? I don't know. I mean, I mean that's a good question, but I don't quite know... I don't know quite know what AI art is. If you're still in the chat, Scott, let us know what you mean by AI art. And if you've got any examples of that, um, do you mean artwork that's been taken from Google and, and changed with a Photoshop filter? Or do you mean literally art that's been created by some kind of computer program? In that case, which program did you use? Because if somebody else wrote the program for it, then is it the program that bought the art. It's a bit like that when that chimpanzee took the photo. Who who owns the photo? You know, is it the photographer's camera or is it the is it the chimpanzee who owns the photo? I, I, I don't know. Um, next question from George. Will I be doing a solo Lacrimosa video and if so, when? So um, I've recently put a poll out to my patron supporters of which solo game do they want to see? Because I've got a couple of days set aside in December where I'm going to be doing some solo playthroughs. Uh, and I put a big list for my patron supporters to vote on. And unfortunately, I forgot to add Lacrimosa to that list. I really should have done because I'd forgotten it had a solo mode. Um, like all of my games, to be honest, most of the games that I brought back from Essen Spiel or, or, or have had in the last few months, if they've got a solo mode, I want to cover it. Right? The, hand on heart, the honest answer is that I would love to be able to do one or two solo playthroughs every week. 
because I've got enough games to cover them, but I, I simply don't have the amount of time. Maybe, maybe after next year, and I keep saying this, it's like, you know, maybe I'll have more time to actually play more solo games. Um, I'd love to, but again, ultimately, I have a limited amount of time, and my Patreon supporters help me choose, uh, you know, which ones. Anyway, Scott's come back, uh, and he said, literally, AI art, there are a bunch of AI generators. I'm really interested in this, Scott. If you can contact me, send me an email or send me a message or something like that uh, and send me some of these links to these AI generators because I'm actually curious about this. It's the first I've really heard about it um, and it's probably worth a discussion somewhere about whether it's you know, legal or, or anything to, to use this kind of artwork uh, in, in games. So yeah, yeah, I'm really curious about that. Um, He's saying, programs such as Midjourney use a, a prompt supplied by the user and then generate an image that is a mashup of numerous images found on the internet, in which case you probably can't use it. Uh, if it's images found on the internet and those images are copyrighted, then I, but I'm not clear on copyright laws. I don't know where the copyright laws end. If you take an image from the internet and change it sufficiently, I don't know. I'm, I'm not an expert on these things, but it's definitely something that I'm curious about and I, I want to look into a bit more. Uh, next question from George Ross. What was my best moment from GridCon 3? Ooh. There's so many. <laughs> There's so many best moments from GridCon 3. Uh, so many highlights of GridCon 3. I mean, the first highlight is the Friday morning or even the Thursday night. Seeing that room filled with people playing games and knowing that months and months of hard work and stress that has gone into it has been worthwhile because there people are playing games and enjoying it. So that that was that was good. Um, the charity raffle when when we raised the four and a half thousand pounds for charity uh, and we gave all of those games away. That that was amazing. So, you know, I, that that was my moment where I just needed to have a little bit of a cry, um, <laughs> just because you know I did that. That was that was on me. Let let's take let let's give myself the credit. I decided to run a charity raffle. I've spent months of my time emailing publishers. I mean, I couldn't have done it with the help of without the help of the people actually at the event itself. But that charity raffle was mainly down to me, and that was four and a half thousand pounds raised for charity. So yeah, I'm going to pat myself on the back for a minute for that. Um, the Patreon supporters photo that we did that was brilliant. We've been wanting to do that. Uh, we wanted to do that at GridCon too. But um, at GridCon 3, getting everybody who was at the convention that was a patron supporter, most of them, some, some of them missed out, unfortunately. Uh, outside, it wasn't raining. We took some photos. That was very rewarding for me personally um, because it just showed the amount of, um, yeah, the amount of support for, for both me and Vicky at, at the event. So that was really good. Um, yeah, there was a few other bits as well, but I think that's probably my highlight. If you've got a highlight of yours for GridCon 3, the photo. Okay, so Vicky's highlight of the weekend was the photo as well. Um, Paul Snugs, which is colder, Frosthaven, Frostpunk, or Endless Winter? Uh, well, first of all, I'm not going to answer the question because you've missed the Oxford comma. So I'm just, go I'm just going to edit your question, Paul. I'm going to put the comma... There you go, right. Um, probably Frostpunk, I think. I think Frostpunk. Yeah, I think that's probably the coldest one. Next question from Graham. Is there a list for the queue 
for the list for the queue is that is that his error or yours <laughs> uh, is there a list for the queue for expressing interest in the next grid comp okay no there isn't uh, so this is following on from a conversation earlier on is there a list for the queue for the list for the queue for no if you're a patron supporter you'll get access to the booking tickets on in february next year uh, yeah february next year there is there is no queue for that um george says what do i spike my eggnog with did we have eggnog once? I think we did. Didn't we go to like um, hmm? Beck made eggnog. Vicky's sister made eggnog at something, and I've had it once. I don't think we spiked it with anything, but that's the first time I've ever had it, and I think it was quite nice. Vaguely remember it being quite nice. Uh, Mark is asking, might we get a Star Trek game in 2023? We might. I tell you what, Mark, if I knew that there was going to be a new Star Trek themed game in 2023, but I wasn't allowed to talk about it, then I wouldn't be able to talk about it. So I, I'm, not, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> there, there, might be a, there might be a new Star Trek themed game coming out in 2023. Who knows? Uh, Brendan is asking, uh, I know I don't do Christmas very much, but what has been my favorite Christmas presents that I've ever received? Oh, favorite Christmas presents that I've ever received. Uh, oh, I got a jumper. That is it. Is it my favourite jumper? So my favourite jumper that Brendan knows very, very well. That was from you when, like, ten years ago. Okay, so that that's probably one of my favourite Christmas presents because it's it's my favourite jumper and it has been my favourite jumper for the last ten years. So that's probably a very good Christmas present. Um, there have been a couple of Christmas presents which, as I mentioned earlier on, when. Vicky's family has sort of got together and bought me like a set of paints or a set of paintbrushes or something like that uh, that I can use for painting my miniatures uh, because they're useful. They're, they're you know, my, my favourite Christmas present because I get them, I can use them and I can use them to make things that look nice. So, um, yeah, probably something like that. Uh, John Flea says, do I think that a standard Euro board game lifetime of 12 months is too short? Or we're going to turn into a philosophical discussion soon. Um, I have a feeling too many average board games are being released each year just to keep the revenue stream not to stop. So, John, this has been a issue in the board gaming industry and hobby for quite a while now. And in fact, I've actually been unaffected by this except for this year. And without going into too many details, I've been going on a bit of a sort of personal emotional journey about my place in the board game industry um, and my position in life uh, and all, all sorts of things have been going on. So this is the first year where I have admitted for the first time ever, I have too many games. Vicky has been on about this for the last 10 years that I have too many games and I've always dismissed it and said, no, I have the right amount of games. This is the year where I have finally admitted I have too many games. Um, there are games in the attic, there's games in the garage, and I just have too many. And I need to start reducing them. Uh, and it's been a bit of a turning point for me. But, John, I, I agree with you. And it's actually been... It, it bothers me. Now, there's nothing I can do about it. This is the way that the industry is. There are games coming out all of the time. And games have this lifespan. They come out. Everybody talks about them, everybody plays them, and then most of them disappear. 
uh, and and nobody's talking about them again. And it it bothers me more because that I because I work in the industry, and I know the amount of hard work and effort that goes into designing a game, developing a game, creating a game, writing the rulebook for the game, doing the graphic design for the game, all of the artwork, all of that. It's a huge, huge, huge amount of work that goes into it. And then the game comes out and everybody's talking about it and people play it. And then two months later, it's gone and nobody's talking about it anymore. And it's just, it, it's weird. And now that is the nature of the industry. That's how it is. Nothing's going to change. The number of board games coming out every year is is still increasing. And it, it, it's a problem. I, it's, a, it's a problem, but is it a problem? I mean, I say it's a problem because I don't think it's right. I don't think it's right that all of that work goes into games and then people play it a few times, move on, and, and, and you know, move on to the next best thing. And that is fueled by a lot of content creators such as myself who's come back for Messen with 20 new games and covering them on the channel and somebody left me a comment on my fate on a, on a Facebook thread uh, earlier this week which which annoyed me a little bit because they basically said that I was only covering the new hotness and I wasn't interested in any older games and trying to justify the fact that there are games from five ten years ago that are still really good games as if I didn't know that and I'm like no I, I know that you know, I've got games from five, ten years ago that are still very good games. And I'd love to play them on the channel if I was able to play games for 24 hours a day, you know. But, you know, <laughs> I can't. Um, so, yeah, it's a problem with the hobby, but it, it's not a problem, if you know what I mean. Um, there's nothing we can do about it. That's just how it is. And it's a shame that some great games, you know, get passed on and, and overlooked. But, yeah. Um, there is, while we're thinking about it, I've just been reminded of a question which I think Augustine asked over on the guild, which I think I forgot to copy in. I've just, I've just, oh, hang on. I've just had a memory of a question that was asked. So unless that question has been removed from BGG, I've forgotten to ask it. Yeah, I think the question has been removed from BGG. Because um, it was definitely there a couple of days ago when I had a quick look at them, but I can't see it there now. Um, so if you wanted to ask me that in private, I did have some thoughts on it. Uh, feel free to let me know. Anyway, let's go back to the live questions. Uh, where are the live questions? Live questions are here. Uh, from Harry. How do I recycle games? Oh, this is a very good question. Because <laughs> I can answer this one. How do I sell or trade my game to make room for the new one? So Harry, I can tell you exactly how I get rid of my old games. And that is the Gridcon charity raffle. So the Gridcon charity raffle that we talked about earlier on, there was, uh, either, there was either 200 games in it or very close to 200. I think we were at like 195, 196, and then we got some extra games in. So it was approximately 200 games that we give away at the Gridcon charity raffle. 76 of those were from my collection. So that's what I do to when I downsize my collection, which as I say this year I've done for the first time, I went through and I got 76 games from my collection and I put them into the charity raffle. Now, that is a combination of games that I was given years ago have never played and have no interest in playing. I just gave them in. Uh, games that I got given by publishers for giveaways years ago and just never got round to giving them away. So I found a, a sealed copy of Hansa Teutonica, the new box, 
that Pegasus Spiel gave me a couple of years ago. Um, so I put that in. But also, games from my collection, which I've got, I've covered on the channel, but after playing a few times, I thought, look, I don't think I'm going to play this again. This wasn't my favourite game. You know, I enjoyed it, but I didn't enjoy it enough to want to play it again. So that went into the charity raffle. So there's a number of games that I put into the charity raffle, which were used copies of games, which were ones that I covered on the channel this year. And they're still fairly popular games. But I decided I can't keep every game and I need to I need to be moving them on. And as I say, that's because of the slightly personal journey that I've gone on this year. Normally, last year, I would have just kept them. Um, and one of those, to give you an example, is Crescent Moon. Crescent Moon from Osprey Games. I got it. I covered it on the channel. I played it three times, maybe four times. Uh, and then I gave it away in the charity raffle. And that's not because I don't think it's a good game. It was just not the kind of game for me. After playing it three or four times, I realised that that is not the kind of game for me. Um, and I just I just moved it onto the charity raffle. So I'm being a bit more ruthless these days. And I've already started. I've already put in the garage about 15 games ready for next year's charity raffle. And over the next year, I will be moving more and more games uh, into the garage. Don't worry, the Gridcon charity raffle is not just made up of my old games. Um, it was, yeah, 76 games from my collection uh, and 134 games, 124 games from other places. Um, next question uh, from Scott. How was Sabika compared to Bitoku, same designer? I enjoyed Sabika, but not as much as Bitoku. Uh, the two games are very, very different. Sabika is a probably a slightly lighter game. Um, but yeah, and the graphic design wasn't as good. But as a game, if you gave me a choice, I would always play Bitoku. Bitoku, for me, for, there was something about it that just hit a sweet spot. And it wasn't anything to do with the theme at all. Uh, but Bitoku, I absolutely loved. So yeah, given the choice... I would always play Bitoku. Um, the games are from the same designer. I don't think that showed. I don't think you would know that both of the games were from the, de the same designer unless you actually knew that. Uh, next question from Kitty. Do I read through the chat after any of my live streams? I don't, uh, what, but Vicky tells me about them. So after we finish this live stream, we'll go downstairs and we'll have dinner and Vicky will probably tell me a few things that people were talking about in the chat. Uh, again, it's just one of those things that I don't really have time to uh, to look through. But anything that is said which is of interest to me, Vicky will sort of go through and let me know. Uh, that's for these live streams anyway. For the, for the live Q&As, I'm not able to see the chat live. I'm just concentrating on the questions and answering them. For all of my other streams, I, leave, I read the live chat as I'm, as I'm doing it. Uh, next, next question, uh, where do I see the board game hobby in the next five years? More of the same. I, I see the board game hobby uh, going down more of the same than we've had in the last five years. I expect there to still be massive projects on crowdfunding. I expect some of those projects to crash and burn and fail. And I expect to see other projects do really well. Um, I think we're going to see more licensed IP board games because if you can get that right, that's a license to print money. Um, but no, I, I don't expect anything different from the hobby. Um, I think the manufacturing uh, and the shipment issues are finally starting 
to settle down a little bit. They're still nowhere near back to where they were and they might never get back to where they were pre-COVID. Um, but I think most of the big issues are, are, are aside and I think we're going to come out of the back of it. But I, I don't see anything different happening with the board game industry over the next five years other than just continuing what's been happening. Uh, next question from Harry. Do I allow friends or myself to have snacks while playing games? If yes, what kind? Um, I'm not one of those people that um, doesn't allow people to have drinks or snacks at the table. The only exception to that is when we're doing a live stream. Uh, if we're doing a live stream, I don't really want snacks for two reasons. I don't think it looks good when somebody's on camera eating uh, during a live stream, but also the noise of opening any kind of packet is picked up by the microphone and amplified by an order of magnitude. So if anybody was to like open a crisp packet or even crinkle a crisp packet, it's really, really loud. So when we're doing live streams, I don't allow any uh, anybody to have any food or anything like that. Drinks are absolutely fine, um, but they need to be you know in a glass so that there's not any noise. You can't have any cans opening or anything like that. But downstairs, I, I, I don't have any rules about eating or drinking while playing games. Next question from Tammy, would I play a game when it's the first time for me, but the person you're playing is an expert with hundreds of plays? Yes, I, I would, absolutely. Um, and I've done that. Um, maybe not hundreds of plays, but I have a memory, and this is going back, when were we in Taunton? 11 years ago, 12 years ago? More, 13, 14? When did we move to Taunton? 2007. So we were in Taunton from 2007 to 2009. So that was between 13 and 15 years ago. So it was probably 14 years ago that Derek came round one Saturday and taught me how to play Twilight Struggle. And Derek was an expert at Twilight Struggle and I was playing it for the first time. Um, and that put me off the game. <laughs> it really put me off the game. Uh, since then, I've grown to enjoy Twilight Struggle. But Twilight Struggle is the kind of game where... Uh, the skill factor massively makes a difference. And to be fair, Derek didn't just know how to play the game. He really knew the game. He knew all of the cards. So he knew exactly what cards were coming out. And he was making moves ready because he said, oh, well, obviously the US are going to do a coup in Nicaragua sometime around now. So I'm going to bolster the defences there, ready for that happening. And I'm like, I'm completely lost and bewildered. Um, so, yes, I, I have done that um, and I have no problem with doing that. Um, it is obviously a bit demoralising if somebody does that, but there are so many games where, like Food Chain Magnet, Barrage, um, you know, uh, Russian Railroads, there are so many games where if somebody's really experienced with the game and knows exactly how to play it, they're going to do really well. And as long as it comes across in the game that they've, they've won the game because they know the game better, then surely that's a good thing. Because in games, the player who's the better player should have a higher chance of winning. Um, Adrian, what are you going to call the channel if you're not doing rules anymore? Well, interestingly enough, Adrian, the channel was created, the YouTube channel was created called Gaming Rules because I was creating videos teaching people how to play games. When the YouTube channel was created and when I first started working in the hobby, I wasn't doing rulebook writing or editing. That came shortly afterwards. So the channel name is still Gaming Rules because I am still doing videos telling people how to play games. Um, yeah, so that's not going to change. Uh, another question from John. Can one make a living of writing and editing board game rule books? 
uh, how to get involved and find some gigs to start with. So the first an the answer to that question is yes, absolutely. You can make a living from writing and editing board game rule books, but very few people can do it, and I'm 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 one of them. If I wanted to, I could have quit doing videos, and I could have quit doing everything else, and I could have just become a rulebook writer and editor. I had enough work on, and I was getting enough offers of work in, that I could have just written and edited rulebooks for the rest of my life. That could have been my career. I decided that I didn't want to do that. I wanted to focus more on creating the videos. But yes, you can absolutely do it. How one goes about doing it, I've been asked this question many, many, many times by people as to how do I get into the rulebook writing hobby? How do I get to where you were? And it, it really isn't easy. Um, and I looked into it, uh, looked as in L-U-C-K. Uh, you know, I fell into it sort of half accidentally, half through look and half through just, you know, putting so much time and effort into it and building up a reputation for myself. Um, that other publishers were approaching me and publishers are still approaching me now and saying Paul you know we've, we've seen your rule books we know you do really good rule books we'd like you to write and edit our rule book and I'm having to go back to them and say I'm very sorry but I don't do that anymore um, so yeah it, it can be done but I think it's extremely rare I don't know of any other people who their full-time job is rule book writing and editing um, but for me it, it, it could have been I could have got there um, Next question is from Justin, which would I prefer? One, victory due to an unexpected opportunity allowing a late surge, or two, running a great early strategy that you are just about to hold on to until the end? Probably two, um, because to me, a victory due to an unexpected opportunity sounds like randomness. You know, if I've been playing a game, let's say me and you are playing a game, Justin, and it's a two-player game, and I'm, and I'm doing quite well, and I'm maintaining... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm maintaining my position, but I'm not winning. Okay, and you're winning, and then an event card gets flipped over, and it says the left-hand wall is destroyed in an earthquake. And I go, oh, the left-hand wall's destroyed. Quick, attack! And I manage to, you know, get my troops in, and I win. I, the only reason I've won that game is due to a random event card. I don't like that really. In fact, in the practice game that me and Peter did with Fire and Stone Siege of Vienna. And if you're a patron supporter, you had access to that. I did a live stream in the afternoon um, where we played... Uh, sorry, not Peter. Um, Robert. Um, we played Fire and Stone, a Siege of Vienna. And in that game in the afternoon, Robert should have won. But I got extremely lucky with a dice roll near the end of the game. And as far as I'm concerned, Robert should have won that game. The fact that I won it, I don't, I don't take any pride in that victory. It was just I managed to roll a couple of sixes or something like that and I managed to win. Um, so, yeah, running a great early strategy that you're just able to hold on to to the end. I'd definitely prefer to win that way. Next question from Chrissy. Are there any other formats that this Q&A is available? Yes. So if you're watching this video live, but you would prefer to watch it in podcast format, then you can. I mean, watch it, listen to it. Um, so... Thanks to the support of the Patreon. Um, again, it was another goal of the Patreon campaign when we got to, I think, 750 supporters that I would turn these live Q&As into a podcast. So if you're watching this on YouTube, but you think, oh, actually, I'd prefer to listen to this as a podcast, you can. Just go to your normal podcast provider and search for the Gaming Rules um, 
new podcast or the new gaming rule podcast. The reason why you have to include the word new is that years ago I did an old podcast and that is still available on some platforms. Um, whereas if you search for the gaming rules new podcast, you will get these. Um, and it's Chrissy who, who does all of that uploading. So I create the MP3s, send them to Chrissy and Chrissy makes it all possible. Um, Next question, uh, what are Vicky's suggestions for GridCon 4? I'll have to ask her. She's currently gone out of the room to go and check on dinner. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure Vicky does have some suggestions for GridCon 4. Um, but we've already, we've already had a discussion about things that we'd change for GridCon 4. Uh, one of them is more time for me to run a welcome table for people who are new to the convention who want help uh, being introduced to other gamers. So uh, I'm going to be doing less demoing myself and I'm going to be doing more things to help uh, run the convention itself. Uh, Jen Connor Essen says, Harry, good question. They are very, very different conventions. I love both of them. They are both very different conventions. Essen is very much like a trade fair. It's open from 10 in the morning till 7 at night. The doors close and everybody disappears. Uh, and that's it. And all it is is halls of exhibitors where you can get demos and you can buy games. That's that's what Essen is. It's a trade fair, it's an exhibit hall. Um, that's it, and it's fantastic, and I love it, and I go every year. Gen Con, on the other hand, is a couple of exhibit halls, exactly like Essen, which are open from nine in the morning till six o'clock at night, and then they close. However, Gen Con is a 24-hour event. There are things going on everywhere. The buzz, the atmosphere, everything else that goes on at Gen Con is amazing. As an experience, Gen Con is a better experience because there is so much other stuff to do. If you want to go and get a, um, a course on how to make leather van braces at 8 o'clock in the morning by somebody who makes leather armour, you can. Uh, if you want to go and take part in a, in a live dungeon, you can. There are so many things going on at Gen Con, whereas Essen is, is just the trade hall. Uh, next question from Keith. Do I ever play music in the background when I'm playing a game? Not for the theme, but because I like the artist stroke group. No, I, I don't do that. Um, I'm never somebody who has music on in the background when playing a game. Uh, it's just not something that we've ever done, really. Um, oh, so it's not Kitty, it's Kit. Right, okay, fantastic, because I've been, I've been wondering that for a while. Uh, do I go uh, wassailing? No. What is wassailing? I've heard of it. Vicky's going to look it up. Uh, I'm pretty sure I don't do it. <laughs> we'll find out. Uh, next question from George. What was my experience doing the group discussion video on People's Choice Best Solo Games? Uh, would, be, would I be interested to do it next year? My perspective was amazing on the topic. Well, thank you very much, George, because I, I don't know whether it was a bit of imposter syndrome or not, but I felt... I I didn't... Uh, how to word it? I was made to feel welcome by the other three uh, members. Um, for those people who don't know, uh, every year there is a, a series of videos covering the top 200 solo games of all time. Uh, this year it was put together by Liz, Liz Davidson from Beyond Solitaire. And the videos are on BGG and they're on YouTube if you want to go and look at them. Uh, and there's four, there was four people... Uh, and I was invited to be, well, I put my name forward uh, as somebody who would be interested in being involved in it. But I didn't feel as confident about my place in the group as everybody else. Everybody else in that group 
was way more of a solo gamer than I am. And whilst I am a solo gamer, it's clear that those three played probably three or four times as many solo games as I do. So I felt a little bit like, oh, should should I be here considering I don't play that many solo games? Um, but the feedback that I've had from everybody else is that they, they enjoyed me being part of that uh, and they enjoyed my my take on some of, some of the topics. So I enjoyed doing it and I would definitely do it again. Um, my experience of it, it, it didn't go the way that I thought it went. Um, it was it was more of a general discussion, general discussion, and particularly when we got through to the top ten, there was no actual mention of the top ten. We didn't list the top ten. We kind of just talked about them briefly, and I think a lot of that was because it's been roughly the same top ten for a few years, and it's been similar people discussing these things for a few years. Whereas I was new to it, I was expecting us to go through the top ten. You know, oh, tell us what you think about Spirit Island. Tell us what you think about. You know, Mage Knight. Tell us what you think about this game. Um, so that 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 was a little unusual, uh, and I think uh, if if I'm on it again, I think we should at least list the top ten, just so anybody watching the video actually knows what the top ten games are uh, that were voted on. Okay, so Chrissy is saying that uh, we're sailing is caroling. So no, I definitely don't do that. Um, one, it involves going out and singing. And two, uh, it's it's Christmassy, and I don't really do the Christmassy time type of thing. What? Well, I'm not going to go out caroling. No, I'll sit at home and watch telly instead. Um, oh, Peter is saying that the orchard visiting Wassail is an ancient custom. I think he's been Wikipediaing this custom of visiting orchards in cider-producing regions of England, reciting incantations and singing to the trees to promote good harvest for the coming year. We definitely don't do that. <laughs> there'd be none of that be going on down in Devon um, right Georgios says uh, how are we doing for time oh it's 6.23 right no more questions please if you've got any more questions please save them to next month uh, because we've only got about 7 minutes left I mean I'll go through the rest of the questions that I've been asked of which there is another 6 or 7 but no more questions please from now thank you right Georgios is asking do I think that a games museum would be worthwhile Absolutely, George Oss, and there already is one. Tony Boydell, who's been a friend of mine, uh, he's a games designer, he designed Snowdonia and other games. Uh, I've known Tony for over 20 years. We used... Loki, making a racket. Uh, we used to play Magic the Gathering together in the late 90s. Anyway, Tony has a museum of board games. Look it up. Uh, if you can't find it, uh, I'll send you a link to it later on. But Tony, uh, up where he lives, um, has got a, a shop that he's converted into a museum of board games. Um, so yeah, he's de definitely is worthwhile. Tony's got one. Um, Kit says, would you, do you pass on games that you think are bad? Bad rules, plays badly, etc. Yes, absolutely. Some of those 76 games which I gave away to the Gridcon raffle, I actually think are bad. Um, and, I, and I made the caveat and, and I said, look, the games that I'm giving into the raffle, this, these are a mixture of quality games. Um, <laughs> some of these games are really good games that I just don't have room for in my collection anymore. And some of these games are actually bad games that I just want rid of. Um, but it's either that or throw them in the bin or take them to the recycling. So no, I, I've definitely given away uh, bad games before. Uh, Randolph says, sorry if it's been asked before, but after all of my plays of Endless Winter, do I, do I have a preferred way to play? It has been asked before, but I have no problem uh, with answering it again. I'm not sure. 
I say answering it again, and then I go ahead and don't answer the question. So I've played the base game of Endless Winter about five times. I've played Rivers and Rafts twice. I've played Ancestors twice, and I've played I've played Cave Paintings once. I don't think I have a preferred way to play, um, and I'm not saying that just to get out of answering the question. Um, I'm saying it because the modules change the game quite a bit that I would happily play any of them. I think for your first game, you should definitely just play the base game because there's already a lot going on in the base game. There's already three or four mini games in the base game, but those extra modules you can throw in and do what you want. I still kind of want to at one point play a get play with everything, you know, the rivers and rafts module uh, and 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 those um, ancient structures, whatever they call landmarks. That's it. Uh, and the cave paintings, and with ancestors, and with canine familiars, and with the aurora borealis. It would be silly uh, just to play with everything included. But no, I, I don't have a personal preference of a way to play. If you were to say which game, you know, if you could play it right now, which module would you use? I would probably use cave paintings right now, only because that's the one that I've used the least, and I'd wanted to try it again. Uh, next question. Have I played Bitoku solo? And if yes, how is it? Is it worth it to buy for mostly solo? I haven't played it solo. And based on the feedback from the people who have played it solo, it is unlikely that I'm ever going to get around to playing it solo. Even though Bitoku is one of my favourite games of last year, I have no interest in playing the solo mode. And that is because... The solo mode, I think, is too much overhead and the rules are a little bit loose and ambiguous. I want my solo games to be clean, I want them to be low overhead and I just want to be able to play the game and enjoy the game. And I don't think the Bitoku solo mode is that. But I would ask the question on the Slack channel because Ben Filler, for one, is somebody who has played Bitoku solo. And I know Ben or Ben already has opinions on that. So, uh, yeah. If it, is it worth to buy for solo only? I, I personally, I don't think so. Unless you really like that solo mode and you're going to play it solo only. Um, you know, I always usually shy away from the is it worth me to buy the game? Because that is really down to you. You know, if you've got if you're a millionaire and you like the theme of Bitoku and you're only going to play it solo, then yes, it is worth it to buy for you. But you know, um, yeah, that really depends on your personal situation. From my point of view, even though Bitoku is one of my favourite games, it is not a solo mode which I think I'm going to enjoy. So, no. Um, Peter is asking, which of my board games do I play the most? Physical games only. At the moment, the games which are in my collection, which get played the most, if we look at the year, it's probably games like just one. I can't think of any other game in my collection which I have played more this year than just one or so Clover. And that is because they are easily accessible and I can get them and they don't take long to play. Um, yeah. Only what we play regularly. Oh, yeah, 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 there is that. <laughs> so Charterstone, uh, we, we've played through an entire Charterstone campaign. So that game was played 12 times. We're currently playing the Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-earth. So Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-earth has been played twice this year and he's going to be played another two times this year. So yeah, things like that. Games which... Uh, oh yeah, and the, the Sherlock Holmes. Which we haven't played this year. I don't think we have. I don't, I don't think we played any Sherlock Holmes game this year. 
Which one are you thinking of? I'm thinking of the Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective. I don't think we've played... It's 2022. I don't think we've played a Sherlock Holmes game, Consulting Detective, in 2022. Did we? You mean the blue box? Oh, yeah, we played through the blue box, didn't we? Was that this year? Wow. Okay, my memory's... My memory's going. So, yeah, the Lord of the Rings... Uh, not the Lord of the Rings. Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, the blue box. We played through all of those cases, and apparently we did it this year. Um... <laughs> But that is not something that I'm going to be playing moving on because they are they are one plays only. Um, yeah, so yeah, at the moment it's games like Charterstone, Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle Earth um, because we've got an ongoing campaign. In future, I'm hoping it will be games like Frosthaven, ISS Vanguard uh, and other, other campaign games like that that I want to play more of. Next question from Aaron and we've got three questions left. Aaron says, thoughts on the rise of app-required games, e.g., uh, games where you have to have a phone and tablet available to play. I Well, actually, I don't think they've risen. Um, I think the number of games that require an app to play, I was expecting to see more of them. You know, somebody earlier on asked, where do you see the board game hobby going in the next five years? If you'd have asked me that three or four years ago, I would have said we're going to be having more app-driven games. That's not to say we don't have some app-driven games, because we do. Deal with the Devil, Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-earth, and there's probably a few others, but I would have thought we'd have had more. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I don't think we've got that many more app-required games. I have no problem with it. I have no problem with apps in games whatsoever. Um, the Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-earth app is absolutely fantastic, and I have no problem with having an iPad there at the side of the table, doing things for us, keeping track of all of the admin. I have no problem with that. Um, I know that there are a number of people who feel very strongly about, I want to get away from computers and I don't want to play board games and have computers involved. But when the app actually helps the situation, um, then I have, I have no problem with it. Uh, right, penultimate question is from The Hank. It's the first thing in the morning after waking up. What is it that you think of? i.e. are you always in game mode? Yes. So the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is normally uh, go to the Facebook uh, board game groups, go to BGG, uh, go to my my uh, online plays that I'm in. I'm, I'm in a number of games at the moment of Board Game Arena. So normally when I wake up in the morning, it's, it's one of my turns in my games and then straight away I'm in, um, I'm in, I'm in game mode. So I go to bed reading rule books and I wake up, um, yeah, pretty much, pretty much board games all the time. Right, final question for today before we have dinner. What's dinner? Stew. Stew. Uh, what are my top three favourites stroke recommendations of Lovecraftian or Cthulhu-themed games? Good question, Harry. Right, Arkham Horror, the LCG, I absolutely love. So that would probably be the number one. Uh, there's lots of other ones that I haven't played. There's a few that I have played. Um, but I'm not sure I could recommend three of them. Um, so definitely the Arkham Horror Card Game. If anybody's got any suggestions, if you're still watching this live, um, we've, we've apparently got 73 people watching live. So if you've got any suggestions for Harry about your favourite Cthulhu-themed game, let me know. I would suggest Cthulhu Wars, but I've only played it once, but I know a lot of friends who really like that. So Cthulhu Wars would probably be up there. Uh, for me, definitely the Arkham Horror card game. I'm trying to think what else. What else have I played that's Cthulhu-themed that I really like? I wasn't a big fan of Mansions of Madness, 
That's one I really I didn't get on with. Uh, Cthulhu Death May Die is another one. Australia, I was going to say Australia because that's kind of. I mean, yeah, okay, it is Cthulhu themed. Australia is a is a great game from Martin Wallace, which is a weird mix. Uh, it's a very much a hybrid game of a Euro game thrown in with the sort of combat and everything else and Cthulhu themed. Studying Emerald as well, I, I haven't played. Unfathomable is quite good. Unfathomable is the uh, re-themed version of Battlestar Galactica. So yeah, I enjoyed that. So I'd, I'd recommend, um, they, they would be my three. Arkham Horror Card Game, Australia, um, and Unfathomable. There you go. I, I've, I've played some other ones, but they are my top three. And that's it. So we're all done. Thank you very much to everybody for watching live. Uh, and again, thank you to everybody for watching afterwards. If you are one of those people who is watching this afterwards, don't forget to enter the contest. Quick reminder of the contest. Do you want to put the link in the, sli in, in, in the, in the chat? Uh, you can enter the contest if you're watching this live or you're watching this afterwards. Even if you're watching this video in three weeks' time, you can still enter the contest. The contest closes the day of the next live Q&A that I can tell you now is going to be... December the 28th. Are we free on that day? I think we are. We might be. So it should be December 28th. But keep an eye on the channel. It will be sometime between Christmas and New Year. We will do a Christmas live Q&A. I might wear a hat. Um, uh, and yeah, so, so the, the contest for this Q&A ends on the day of the next Q&A. Uh, and again, a big thank you to Games Law for donating £25. Uh, and I donate the other £25 and you can win £50 worth of vouchers. Uh, and hopefully, is Matouche going to get back to me? Uh, he's not got back to me yet. I sent him an email earlier on. So if you're watching this, Matouche, you've won the contest from last month. Check your emails, check your junk emails uh, and, and let me know. Other than that, just a big thank you to all of my patron supporters. Again, it's only thanks to the patron support that I'm able to create these videos. So if you want to support the channel directly and you're not one of my patron supporters, you can support me at patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. Uh, and as a patron supporter, you get exclusive access to the Slack channel and various other things. In fact, tomorrow is the first uh, first day of the month. So I normally add people to the Slack channel at the start of the month. So if you were considering joining the Patreon uh, campaign, if you join today, then you will get added to the Slack channel tomorrow because uh, that's when Patreon's billing cycle is. But for now, I'm going to say goodbye. I will be back on Friday with two live streams. Friday afternoon, we will be doing a live stream of Revive. And Friday evening, we'll be doing a live stream of Great Western Trail Argentina. Neither of those videos are sponsored. Again, they are funded purely through Patreon. I'm basically taking the day off from work in order to produce videos for you to watch. Uh, and that's thanks to the Patreon campaign. So yeah, big thank you for that. Thank you, Vicky, for facilitating this live Q&A, if that's what you want to call it. Um, and for the stew, which we're going to go downstairs and eat and watch some telly. I think we're going to watch some more Walking Dead tonight. We're currently on the last season of Walking Dead. So we're going to be, uh, going to be watching episodes of that. Anyway, we're all done. I'm waffling. Thanks very much for watching. Take care. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.